Welcome back, everybody. It is your Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. As always, it's Ian Mendes, Sean McIndoe with you for the next hour or so. We'll uh, look at the uh, the early part of those final four series, and uh, we're going to have to touch on the offside stuff because that was that was kind of nutty with Kale McCarr uh, from the other night. Sean's got a really interesting piece, the all-disappointment team. Uh, he's got it out for the playoffs. We'll... Uh, We'll break that down. Jesse Granger drops by, as always, uh, for, for little Granger things. We hear from Devils fans, a lot of Devils fans, in our mailbag. So we'll uh, get to that a little bit of this week uh, in hockey history uh, as well. And uh, as we kick off the show, though, Sean, I, I think I need to, to, to bring this up with you. Uh, do you know whose birthday it is in the hockey world today? Uh-oh. It's Ju- June the 2nd. June the 2nd. I do not. Okay. Maybe, maybe this will help you. It's okay. a... Very special 70th birthday for somebody. Hmm. No, still doesn't okay. help. Still Happy no, birthday, I... Gary Bettman. Oh. Commission 70. The big 7-0 today. Why, why, where, this, where is the... I don't see... I'm not feeling the, uh, the enthusiasm. I guess my invitation to his birthday party must have got lost in the mail or something. I didn't, uh, I didn't get an evite. I didn't get a, we're not Facebook friends, so that's probably, that's the only way I know anyone's birthday these days. So yeah, happy birthday, Kamish. Uh, is Evite still a thing, by the way? Like, probably are people not. still using I Evite? Probably just, I probably just went seriously old man and yeah. like made a reference to something that hasn't existed in 15 years. So. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Gary yeah. Bettman, 70. I mean, he looks good for 70. He's, uh, he's still, he's, he's got a lot of good years ahead of him. I mean, if I were him, I'd retire and, and you know, go play tennis, play golf, enjoy your, uh, your golden years. I mean, uh, I, think, I feel like he's, he's already accomplished everything he could do in hockey. He's, he's made the sport uh, so perfect that really go out on top and uh, enjoy your 70s. Gary? Yeah, there we go. That, that felt really heartfelt and, and genuine. Yeah, so thank nice you. Did it? I've been yeah, working yeah. on my yeah. uh, sincerity. So Yeah. So listen, look, look. one of the things that as we talk about you know, Gary Bettman and, and the Bettman era, uh, video review has certainly been one of the things. If we look back at the Bettman era, I mean, offside video review is going to be something that we talk about, I think, for years. And obviously this week, it, it reared its ugly head in that Colorado-Edmonton game. Now, I'm going to admit when I watched it, I was like, oh, that's offside. Like I, yep. I, I can't even explain to you the level of shock I had when, and I, I forget who the official was that night. Was it Kelly Sutherland? Whoever it was. Yeah. And he had the dramatic pause too. After video re- uh, review, it has be, been determined that that goal was onside. Like it was like, what? Like why, why did you have the delay? Yeah. But, but I, I just can't wrap my head around it. And I, and I think I want to go back. Like, remember when the NFL was like, eh, is it a catch? Is it not a catch? And then we finally all agreed, well, if it looks like a catch, it's a catch. Like, that, that was kind of our... Kind of, I yeah. feel like we need to get there with offside, where it's like, you know what? If it looks like it's offside, it's offside. But I, I'd like to get rid of video review altogether yeah. for offside, if you're asking me. Yes. And that's my starting point, too. It, we, we don't... We, get rid of offside review. It has been a disaster... We brought it in years ago, um, partly because Matt Duchesne was offside by 10 feet on a play that people don't understand. Um, but he was, they, they blew a call on Matt Duchesne and we said, we need offside review because this can't happen again. And all these years later, guess what? It hasn't happened again. We have not caught one Matt Duchesne play in all of these years. Instead, we have caught a ton, hundreds of nitpicky little offsides that we would have never seen before, never noticed. And we now have every single team has somebody watching every play to see if there's an offside, not because it affects the game, not because it's, you know, it changed the way that they defended. It's just a get out of jail free card in a league that needs more offense. We didn't learn from the 90s skate in the crease rule. We passed another dumb rule to just take goals off the board. So to get to, uh, Tuesday night, uh, I-, I was with you. I thought it was offside, and I was—I uh, I don't know what the American broadcast was like, but up here in Canada, they were like, "What's even taking so long? Why are they? 
reviewing this, uh, you know, you just need to look at it once and it's, it's clearly going to be offside. And I, I was along with it. But my initial reaction was anything that lets a goal stand, I'm for. Okay, like we're taking too many goals off the board. The fact that the NHL uh, looked at something and said, we're going to count it, uh, even if it was a mistake, I'm like, you know what, I'm on board. And I did think it was a mistake initially. I tweeted a few times about like possession is really a gray area in the NHL, but uh, the way it's typically called that Kel McCarr did have possession of the puck, so it should have been offside. In the days since, I have come around to the idea that that my initial impression was wrong and that the NHL got this one right. I've seen enough examples. You know, we've all seen the explanation by now that it was basically a tag up um, and that, uh, you know, because McCart did not touch the puck, uh, that that's, you know, that makes it different. And my initial thought was, well, yeah, but that he still, he has possession. So it's, I've, I've now seen enough examples that have come in. These are examples the NHL put out before this play. This isn't them going and covering their butt. Um, I've, I've seen enough floating around to say that, yeah, this actually is the way it's been called. Uh, it was confusing. It was one of those, you know, very strange plays where a few different things happened to make it confusing. But I think they got it right. And, and they got it right by the strict letter of the law. And they got it right in the big picture, which is don't take good goals off the board for nitpicky little reasons, which is what we've, we've been doing. So I'm, I'm actually fine with it. I'm happy with it. I see why the Oilers challenged it. It's a tough break for them to, to take the penalty on, on that, especially since they, they went and got scored on. But it was the right call. It wasn't offside. I don't buy for a second that Kel McCart did that on purpose. I don't even buy no. that the linesman was thinking through this in real time. I think they kind of missed something they would have normally called. And if they had called it, if they'd blown that dead on the ice, we wouldn't have thought twice about it. But I do think they got it right. Um, I accept the NHL's explanation. And I think my initial impression that it had to do with possession was actually wrong. I think possession is is part of the rule uh, on a typical zone entry. But when it's a delayed situation, it actually is just about, do you touch the puck or not? And he didn't touch the puck. Yeah, no, it, it, what is it? The old possession is nine-tenths of the law and, and whatever. Yeah. And this was the one-tenth where I guess he didn't have and, it. But And luckily, but, because the NHL rulebook, I've written about this, doesn't tell us what possession is. Exactly. It refers to possession in a bunch yeah. of places. You can't hit a guy who doesn't have possession of the puck. In an offside, you know, if a guy comes in, skates first, you know, he's going in backwards, but if he has possession of the puck, that's okay. It never says what possession is, which is a huge loophole in the rules that that they should fix at some point and and that's immediately where my mind went on this but now having seen the explanations uh i i now accept that actually possession has nothing to do with it it's just puck hits stick or it doesn't yeah it's uh it's it's really it was remarkable that so many people like you and i i think we're in the majority like these are these are intelligent hockey fans who have watched the game for 10 15 20 30 years we all thought it was offside. And so that's that was really eye-opening to me. They're like, oh man, like I, I was wrong. And it's okay. I I, I love I think it was Dave Jackson had a great uh the former referee, great video breakdown. I was like, okay, that makes sense. That totally, totally makes sense. Tim Peel, mm-hmm. even on Twitter, like when you hear them explain it, former referees, I see you rolling your eyes at Tim Peel. But I'm rolling but- my <laughs> eyes because yeah, because it's Tim Peel and also. <laughs> Here's my question. Where are the former linesmen on Twitter? How come all these referees are out there? If you're a linesman, you got to be sitting there like, what the hell does Tim Teal know about offside, Mr. Yeah, Ref? Point. Go go drop your one face off at the start of the game and then get out of there and let the rest of us, like, you know, go stand there and watch the fights. I'll be the one having Ryan Reeves land on top of my head, you know, like, yeah, like we're, we need a linesman. Where's, like, Kevin Collins has got to have a Twitter account somewhere. Or who's he the just, super... Who's the super tall? Was it Mike Svick? Svick? Yeah. He was, was he a he linesman was a or was he yeah. a referee? He was, no, he was, he, was a, he, right? was, he was a linesman. Yeah. And, and Kevin guy. Collins was a big guy. Too. I guarantee Kevin Collins is out there on Twitter. If he's on Twitter, he's just looking for Twitter arguments and breaking them up before yeah. they can get going. Like people are really ready to go and he just shows up and somehow separates them. Um, yeah. I, we need a linesman Twitter account. Referees. It's a great point. That's a great point. But like, look, I, I think they should, if they're going to keep video review for offside, I would go with a 30 second 
maximum yep. and say, if you can't determine it in 30 seconds, then whatever you called on the ice stands. Because the, look, the Matt Duchesne one back in there, and I think there was another one. Was it Montreal, Tampa in the 2015? That, was, that one was 14, the one that, that really caused this. Everyone yeah. thinks it was Matt Duchesne, and Matt Duchesne was a big part of it. But it was in the playoffs, and there was an overtime goal that at the time seemed fine. And then was it afterwards, Drew It was Jonathan Drewan, right? It might have been. Yeah. I, it, we it, can't afterwards, even they looked at yeah. it and they saw that it was offside, and that's when people went, "Oh, you know, we need to." And it was, you know, clearly offside. It wasn't the the total nitpicky freeze frame stuff that we that we get now. It was a missed call, but I uh, mean, we we shouldn't have this to start with because I mean, I made this point a bunch of times. We don't do, I know there's people who say, well, you got to get it right. You got to get it right. The rule is black and white call. We don't do this for a whole bunch of other black and white stuff. We don't do it for, you know, if, if they dump it in, we don't sit there and go, oh, were they, did they hit the red line first or was it, uh, should that have been icing? Go back and watch any goal scored off an offensive zone faceoff and tell me that there isn't at least one skate on the, right. on the faceoff circle line. That's by the strict letter of the rules, if we've got to get it right, that's uh, a face-off violation. That shouldn't count. Do we go and review those? I. The problem is I've said that a few times, and some people go, yeah, maybe we should, but we got to get it right. And it's like, do, do we just want there to be no goals in this league? I, I, would, I would get rid of offside review entirely. I would accept that every now and then there's just going to be a mistake. We always knew that. We used to mostly just live with it. Um, we didn't feel like review had to fix everything for us. Um, I would get rid of it. If we can't get rid of it, I'd, I'd go with your suggestion. You know, you get 30 seconds or you get to see it three times. Um, I know some people have said you can see, you can watch replays, but they got to be real time. If you have to slow it down, you know, micro manage it like that. Here's my suggestion that I've, I've said with, with all reviews, and this is goalie, goalie interference, everything. When a goal is scored, You've got, you, there's two referees on the ice. The referee who's down in that end, he's the one signaling goal. The trailing referee, as soon as it's clear that a goal has been scored, I want him to hold up his hand. He holds up five fingers at the bench that just got scored on, and he counts it down. You've got five seconds after the goal to tell us if you want to review it. Did you see something in real time, coach? Are your players telling you they saw something in real time? Because we'll review that. If it's Matthew Shane who's off, and you want or your goalie got run over or something like that, but you make the decision quickly. You don't get some guy watching the replay 10 times while we all stand around in your ear telling you whether to watch it. You don't get to look on your iPad and nitpick it and slow it right down. The linesman had to call it in real time. The ref has to call it in real time. So do you. Are you so sure? You got five seconds. And then after five seconds, you've missed your chance. Sorry. That's it. And it's on you. You could have challenged it, but you didn't because you missed it. Uh, you know, you're, you want to say we missed it? Well, you missed it too. I would like to see it like that. It would be no different than what we do with line changes, right? We already have that process where you've got the visiting team makes a change. The home team gets five seconds. Exact same thing. You know, maybe you want to call it 10 seconds or something like that, but it's quick. Did you see something in real time? Yes or no? If you did, we'll challenge it. We'll go take another look. We'll get it right. But if you didn't see it at the same time you expect us to see it, play on, man. And if it's a mistake, if, if it was a bad break for you guys, Hey, bad breaks happen in hockey. We can't fix them all. And by the way, that that Montreal-Tampa game with the controversial overtime, it was uh, Nikita Kucherov with the uh, overtime goal. And it was uh, Valtteri Filpula, who was egregiously offside, I think, on that play. And then they reviewed. But it was too late. They had already uh, realized that... uh, the, the goal went in. There was no. There was no mechanism yeah, was, at the time. Was, there, there was right? no. There there would have there would have been no way even if they had realized it. And I don't. Yeah. I don't remember Montreal complaining at the time. But even if they had, there was nothing they can do. And and look, the the thing with this is, it's always the extreme cases that lead people to say we have to put in review, right? Like when right. when it's when when Duchesne's offside, we have to review offsides. When I, I remember like. Colton Orr running over a Florida Panthers goalie, just blatantly trucking him, and they shoot the puck into the net. And that was the first time I started to hear people go, maybe we need to be reviewing goalie interference. Uh, the Joe Pavelski situation led to people saying, we got to review majors. And and look, some of this is fine. I'm not anti-review for everything. I think it you know it works for goal or no goal and, and some other things. But there is a saying in the legal world that says, like, hard cases make bad laws. And, and the right. idea that... When you have a, an outlier really different, that's not what you use to determine the law that's going to work for everything else. And it's the same thing here. Like ex- in hockey, 
And in sports, I would argue extreme cases make bad rules. When you see an extreme, rather than just saying, oh, that's a once a decade weird thing that we just saw. When you say, well, we got to make a bunch of rules. It, it doesn't, you end up not catching those situations. You end up catching dozens or in the case of offside, hundreds of situations that you never even thought were a problem. And to make matters worse, you train fans. Again, we went through this with the skate and the crease. We've trained a generation of fans that when they see a goal to just kind of, oh, wait a second, hold on. I, I want to get excited, but maybe should I, uh, you know, let's wait. Oh, they're doing the face off. Okay. I guess my team actually did score. I hate it. Uh, I would get rid of, I think it does more harm than good. I would get rid of it entirely, certainly for offsides. We don't need it. We don't do it for any other rule in the book that we could get nitpicky like this for. Um, and I've, I've said it before. I mean, if I had a time machine, I'm not going back to stop wars or anything. I'm going back to tackle Matt Duchesne on that play and keep him from scoring yeah. so that we don't have this terrible, stupid rule uh, that I hate very, very much, even though the NHL got it right on the one that everyone's currently making. Right. And, and hey, listen, it's the unintended consequences. It's uh, it's puck over glass, where it's like you and I say, we don't remember an epidemic in the late 90s, early 2000s of nope. stay-at-home defensemen just flicking it over the glass. Like, maybe. I, I feel like I, I would have known. But it did. There are two types of <laughs> hockey fans. There are people who remember this being absolutely everywhere, and there's people <laughs> like us. And again, I've said this before on this show. I complain about a lot. I'm a Leafs fan. Every game the Leafs have lost, in my mind, was not because the other team was better. It was because something happened. There was a bad break. Somebody cheated. Some referee screwed us over. I am full of excuses, okay? I am Mr. Excuse Maker. If the other teams were, were doing that, I would have noticed it, and I would have complained about it, and I wouldn't have seen my own team do it, of course, but I would have seen the other team all the time. I have no memory of it. I watch a lot of old hockey. I go back and you know watch clips. I never see it. Other people swear it happened all the time. I think what happened is other people saw it happen once and in their heads that's turned into all the time. But the thing was, the rule with puck over glass was always that you couldn't do it intentionally. If you did it intentionally, the way people describe, you know, a defenseman just flipping it over, that was always a penalty. It was just a penalty that was a judgment call like every other penalty in the book. We trusted the referees, um, including when I say every other rule in the book, including all the other delay a game rules, pushing the net off is not an automatic penalty. Imagine if every time somebody stumbled into the net, sorry, automatic penalty, the net came off, there's nothing we can do, automatic penalty. And then people would go, oh, I like this rule, it's black and white, they call it the same every time. No, everybody would hate that. The referee uses his judgment, says you did that on purpose, that's two minutes. We could do the same for puck over glass, but we don't. I t- Gary, retire now, because I got a long list of things I need to do when I take over, okay? Like I, I'm waiting for my phone to ring to take your job, you, you're 70. Thank you very much. Go go play tennis. I've got uh, I've got a ton of things I need to fix here. By the way, now it's pickleball. It's pickleball oh, that is it? Uh, okay. the old folks are playing. Not not tennis. Right. I heard uh, Gary's a big tennis guy. I think that's his That's, that's his, his sport. Yeah, yeah, that's his that's his sport. And, and um, yeah. They have replay review in tennis, right? There yeah, they go. do. That's, it takes 5 seconds. Problem. Yeah. Well, yeah. okay. <laughs> um I got a summer, you know how I love giving you summer work projects, yep. things, mm-hmm. okay? You got to go back and find, so the last season where we didn't have this puck over, 03, 04, right? Was the last yep. season, okay? You need to go back and randomly watch 20 games or something like that, okay? And just tell me how many times did we have puck over glass? Like, and maybe yep. you go back and watch it like, holy cow, there was seven times a game, but okay. If it was a problem, it was a problem. I just, I, I don't know. And, and I, I would put that out to because I'm, I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this was just something that, uh, you know, that I, that I didn't notice. Um, go back and find me a game. Don't find me like one clip of it happening, but go back and find me a game and go, look, Jamie McCowan does it three times in five minutes on this. <laughs> and, and I'll watch it and I'll go, oh, wow. Okay. I don't even remember that. But I don't remember. I, I do remember. And I had somebody bring this up to me. Uh, do you remember how? We used to, many times a game, the puck would just go over by the boards and the players would just go stand on the puck. Yeah. And that would stop the game. The defense would just come over, put his skate up against and and stand there. And the ref would go, oh, I, the puck's gone. We can't play anymore. And they would blow the whistle. And that's how they would get stoppages. That happened all the time. And it doesn't happen anymore or almost never because the referees started forcing guys to move it. But I don't remember the puck getting shot into there. So yeah. I don't know. Show me. 
show me that old clip. I I'd love watching old clips and and I'll I'll go and watch it and I'll if I'm wrong I'll say I'm wrong, but I don't know, man. I yeah. don't uh, think you guys are making it up. No, I don't think so. Uh, I brought up Nikita Kucherov's name there earlier because uh, he was the guy that scored the controversial goal years ago. Kucherov in the Lightning looked super flat uh, in Game One Wednesday night against the Rangers. I, I think it's it's understandable they didn't play for you know whatever nine days. So I get it. Like uh, it's the old rust, rest, whatever. Like I'm I'm not worried about them. My question though to you is John Cooper. Sean seems super pessimistic about Braden Point. Like. The 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 way he answered that question going into game one was kind of like, it'll be a, you know, a blessing. Like, it didn't sound like he's coming back in this series. I know he nope. skated and Joe Smith tweeted out the video, but they went 5-0 and without Braden Point, um, winning game seven against Toronto, then the four against Florida. Can they can they win the cup without Braden Point? I, I think they can, uh, but it is clearly a, a steeper climb. Um, and, and you're right. Like we had, especially when we saw him out skating, you kind of, usually when you see that, you think, oh, this guy, you know, maybe he's, maybe he's coming back. And there's always, there's always a little cloak and dagger in the playoffs. Who knows? Maybe, uh, you know, maybe John Cooper is, is hiding something, but no, it was, I mean, it, it was very concerning because he comes out and he's like, well, the good news is he, he is going to play again at some point. And you're like, whoa, I, that yeah. that didn't even occur to us that he might not play ever. Like that, nobody was talking about this as a career yeah. threatening injury, but he made it sound like it was like, you know, he will play hockey again someday, but not necessarily in the playoffs. Uh, we'll, we will see. Um, man, I, I, I would love to know when we find out whenever, when the lightning season is over, they're eliminated or they win. And we find out specifically what the injury is. I, I know, look, we all love, the Warriors, and we love the fact that he's out there skating, and you know he clearly wants to get back. But I would love to go back to that game where he got hurt in Toronto, that Game Seven. Remember, he got he gets hurt at the end of the period, yeah, and he comes, and then back he out. comes back out, and everyone goes, "Whoa, he's out!" And then everyone says, "Okay, he's sitting on the bench. He's being a leader. He's going to stay on the bench." And then he went out for a shift, played a shift, and he was just hobbling around. He looked awful, and I got to—I mean, I love the leadership. I love the never say die attitude, but. I kind of want to know, like, why did you guys let him go back out there? Because we haven't seen him since. And it's, you know, it's, it's you know, three weeks or whatever it is since then. We haven't seen him. I really want to know what the thought process was when you had a whole intermission to check him out to say, you know what? Go back out there. Give it a try. I know he was begging you. I know he was saying, like, I, you know, let me go get, give it a try. But to put him in live game action like that, uh, you know, and, I, and I'm not saying that that changed the injury or increased it. It could have, um, didn't, didn't seem to, but I, man, so some of these, some of these stories about heroic guys playing through stuff, as I get older, I start to go, is that heroic or is that maybe a team not looking after a guy by letting him go out there again? You know, it kind of reminded, remember when Stamkos came back against Dallas for like a shift in the, in the cup final Yeah, and he, he, and he got his goal, goal, right? Like it was like, I always say that that is almost like hockey's Kirk Gibson moment. Where like the guy is like hobbled and you're like, I don't think he could, and he scores and he he, he exits stage left. Mm. But hockey's much different than the baseball. I can understand Gibson getting up there with well, whatever his torn and hamstring. You know what the, the Kirk Gibson moment uh, before that was was Paul Correa, right? Yeah. The off the floor on the board. Like we all love that. That's so great. You go back and watch that now. Oh, his eyes. Are He's rolling on the, back the ice his with his eyes rolled back into yeah. his head, and the fact that he, you know. They sent him right back out there a few minutes later. Yeah, it was great that he scored a goal. But my God, like, you know, what are what are we doing? Or or like uh when was it the uh, two thousand eleven or one of the other runs where Patrice Bergeron was like, Yeah, I have a hole in my lung or uh, 20, like, 2013. 2013. Yeah, some yeah. ridiculous level of injury. And on the one hand, yeah, you're like this guy is an absolute warrior, man. I get a little blister and I can't uh, you know, that's it. I'm done. I'm on the couch. These guys are, you know, it's fantastic. But at the same time, you're sitting there going like, what, what are we doing here with, with some of these guys fighting their way back from injury? And, uh, uh, you know, how bad are some of these guys hurt that with, when the team says, no, like, we're not letting you out there. We're not letting you go for a skate. Um, yeah, you just, you, you just wonder sometimes because you love the narrative of the, the warrior coming back. But sometimes you got to save these guys from themselves. All right, as always, on a Thursday episode of the Athletic Hockey Show, a time to bring in our pal Jesse Granger for a little Granger Things, brought to you by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner with us. 
at the athletic and i want to draw uh the attention to the line in game heading into game two the over under in the western conference final uh I know they scored 14 goals, right? They combined to score 14 goals in, in game one. So you figured that the line might be a little high. I don't remember the last time I saw an over-under at seven for an NHL playoff game, but that's where we're at, guys, is we look at BetMGM. Uh, they're at seven. An over-under at seven for a playoff game in the National Hockey League. Um, I guess I'm inclined to take the over still, like, because of what happened in the goaltending. But, man, that that is an eye-opening line to me. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And not only is it over under seven, I'm looking at it and the over is actually minus one thirty five. So they have shaded to the over. So you're you're actually getting you get better odds betting under seven goals than you would betting over seven goals, which I like you said, I don't remember the last time a, a hockey game was at seven, especially a playoff game. Um, but when it was, it was probably shaded to the under, uh, not the over. Um, this, this is a incredibly high line. Honestly, Last game, I'm watching it. I'm like, man, do they do they have to make the total nine and a half on this series to get anyone in the world to bet the under in this series? Um, obviously, we'll see if things can change tonight. Maybe. I mean, we heard the Avs players after the game saying like, OK, we realized that that was a win and we'll take it, but we have to tighten things up. We'll see if that actually happens. But um, seven seems low for me. <laughs> I, I can't wait. I hope I'd love to see another shootout tonight and just see how high can go because I you know my first thought when we talked about uh, when this topic came up was well I mean we saw this from Edmonton in the last round right game right. one was 15 goals and then after that it all settled down and, and we didn't see anything like that again and then I went and I looked the other four games in that Calgary series three of them would have been the over there were two right. eight goal games and a nine goal game and then there was one goal uh, one game all the way down at five goals that was the low scoring game so um I don't know. I don't know what the over-under was after that that first uh, Calgary game, but especially here. I mean, it's a perfect storm. It's all the offensive talent. We already don't trust the goaltending on Edmonton, and now we don't know what Colorado's situation is. So uh, goals are plenty. Let's hope. Yeah, and, and, and that's what I find fascinating. Look, like Darcy Kemper is obviously not healthy, right? Like there, there's – whether it's the eye and what – like he's he's not healthy. But Mike Smith might get the, the hook here – for performance reasons, right? And it was like Jay Woodcroft was awfully uh, cryptic, right? Uh, on Wednesday with his kind of like, well, well, we'll we'll see about our starter. We'll see what Mike Smith's status is. And I think he said, well, we'll see what Miko's status is. Like that could obviously have a, an impact. And, and Sean, let me ask you this one first, because usually the deeper you get into the playoffs, the less likely it is that you're going to play musical goalies based on performance, right? Like we've seen injuries and, Edmonton fans know all about uh, guys yep. goalies getting injured deep in the playoffs. But how rare is it to see like musical goalies uh, like just based on performance once we get to the final four or the cup final? It's it's not common because you you have, uh, you know, the the old the old saying that, you know, if you've got two goalies and you don't have one goalie, uh, it's it's kind of that that has Changed, I think, over the years. It's not like the old days where you had each team was wanted to have their one guy. Uh, more teams are going with the two-headed monster approach now, but usually you you ride the hot hand or you at least keep guys in when when you're winning. And obviously, if you're not winning, you're typically not advancing very far in the playoffs. I, I was trying to think back. The, the one that came to mind was actually that uh, the series, the 2017 series with the Senators and the Penguins. The Penguins didn't they go from Flurry to to Matt Murray in the middle of that series? Yeah, after game three, uh, and then but that was injury and, and related. Matt was, was I it? Mean, Mur Murray was injured in the beginning of the playoffs, so okay. Flurry stepped in, and then at That's that right. point, Murray had finally been healthy enough to play. So they were maybe looking for a reason to to go back. Right. So okay. So I mean, even even there, there's there's some health issues. Uh, I don't know what you do with Mike Smith. I mean, it, you we talked about the last series. He he was awful in game one. Came out and he was he was good enough, right? You know, went one four straight the rest of the series. Uh, the difference maybe is that Miko Koskinen was also awful in game one. He didn't give you really anything to think about. Um, I say you go with Mike Smith, but the, the leash has got to be getting short. You think? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like like you said, how many times that happened? Well, like normally, if you get to the conference finals, your goalie's playing awesome. <laughs> like you, you don't get to the conference finals giving up as many goals as Mike Smith has given up in these playoffs. So it's an interesting situation. I I thought Koskinen looked 
more solid in there, but also you have to take into account like the game had already had a bunch of goals scored. Maybe the defense played a little bit better for Edmonton with Koskinen in there. I don't know. I, I thought Koskinen looked a little more solid in there despite giving up however many goals it was. Um, I think it's tough to judge goalies. Even Mike Smith, I think it's tough. If if I was Woodcroft, I don't know if I'd be using that game to evaluate which goalie I'm going forward with. I think it would be more just, hey, I've watched these guys all year in practice. This is the guy I believe in. Because in a game that wide open, it's just like they, the goal they pulled Mike Smith on. I thought it was funny that he did give up some soft ones, but then the goal they, yeah, they pulled him on. There's no <laughs> human being on earth that's stopping that goal. It, it was a deflection uh, six inches in front of his face. So, yeah, um, I think there is a lot more issues in this series that's allowing goals than just the goalies. And, and yeah. we almost got one of my favorite things on that, which is the, you're right. There was the deflection. You could tell they had already made up their minds, you know, next goal, we're switching mm-hmm. goalies. So, you know, you see Koskinen starts getting ready and then they start showing the replays and you see the coaches looking down at the pad, like, wait, was that a high stick? Is there me? I love yeah. goalies getting pulled on goals that then get waved off. And then you're awkwardly like, uh, dude, I guess go back in. Do we not? I mean, the puck still went in. Uh, it's always a confusing situation, but uh, didn't didn't quite get it there. A little I, aside on that, uh, Pete DeBoer pulled Leonard after one goal um, in the Golden Knights late in their season when they were playing yep. the Capitals. It was one one after a period, and we kind of we kind of gave Pete a little bit of crap for doing that. And it, after the season was over, he said, "And just to be clear, I pulled him after two goals, not one." And he goes, "Because one of the goals got called back for an offside, but he still let that goal in." So yeah. in our there minds. So there you, you hear it. even we talked about it. Even coaches admit that offside goals are still goals and uh, <laughs> and they should count. You heard there it right go. from Pete. <laughs> and can you guys imagine if, if Koskinen ends up coming into this series at some point and imagine Miko Koskinen is the goalie that takes Edmonton to the final. You know, how many people be going back, deleting old <laughs> tweets about Pete Chiarelli and Koskinen. And Ko- like that old takes exposed Twitter. Uh, oh, they're going to get a workout. If big, we go Koskinen, big times for games. the this aged poorly crowd. Yeah, the, uh, people who can only they just spend all day on Twitter reply at this aged poorly. Like, yeah, uh, you, you got me. I said, yeah, I said the goalie with the three point six goals against average maybe wasn't good. You, you nailed me. Yeah, that crowd was a big fan of me uh, yesterday after I <laughs> tweeted that the Eastern Conference has the best two goalies in the world, uh, oh. and, and the West doesn't know what goalies are. And then the following day, Vasilevsky gives up six goals. So yeah. I'm very familiar at the moment with the oh. uh, this aged poorly crowd. What a, what a dumb take, Jesse! That yeah, Audrey Vasilevsky is a good goaltender. <laughs> right, boy, boy, do you have egg on your face? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, like it's going to be really once you get down to the final four. I think. The conversation for playoff MVP and the Consmite Trophy really heats up, right? And I think if we're looking at it right now, all things being equal, I think we all feel like McDavid is the guy who elevated his game and probably pulled his team along the most. Drysidle deserves a ton of credit too, especially playing on that bad ankle. He just, I don't know how he's doing it. He's he's been great. But if we're looking at this right now, uh, where might it be smart to start to maybe put some money down on on a Conn Smythe winner? Because now we're down to the field. It's probably down to four, five, six guys. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me, and I agree with you. I think this is the time. Like, I, I'm not a big futures better just because you have your money tied up in like for an entire year. I think like right about now, maybe even like in the last round would be I, when I start to look at it because you kind of get a picture of, okay, these are the teams that actually have a chance to win this thing. Um, what's interesting to me and what I'd like to start this off with is so Connor McDavid's currently fifth um, in, in the odds to win the Conn Smythe at nine to one. We've had five players win the Conn Smythe in history that didn't win the Stanley Cup, but all five played in the Stanley Cup finals. Yeah. Has mm-hmm. Connor McDavid been so ridiculously good that he could win the Conn Smythe without playing in the Stanley Cup Finals? If they lose to the Colorado Avalanche in seven games and he continues to play like this, do you do you think it's possible con- that Connor McDavid can win the Conn Smythe without playing in the Cup Finals? I'll, I'll tell you what, guys. You're right. 2017, Eric Carlson got a Conn Smythe vote in a season in which Ottawa got dispatched in the very manner in which you just described, losing in Game Seven. Of a conference final. Eric took his game to a completely different level, but it's still like, boy, it, I, I think what McDavid has done this year is even more impressive. I think he would have to get, how many points does McDavid have right now? 
Like, oh, I, I think a, if he was at get... 29 going into the yeah. series. So, so let me say this. If he gets the 40 points, I think there's a legitimate argument because the only two players in the history of the game to get 40 points in a singular postseason are Gretzky and Lemieux. That's it. That's the list. So I think that there would be some there, there would be a conversation to be had. Yeah. If, I, if he can get to 40 points. I agree Absolutely. that 40 is the entry point to get there. Uh, I still don't think it, it it gets him the award. I think maybe it gets him on ballots. And the reason I say that is that that means Colorado is going to be in the final and they're right. going to be playing, you know, a, a team that's going to have some some pretty significant either. Shesterkin is is going to be the odds on favorite for for the Rangers or, Van, or uh, Tampa's got a bunch of guys who who could be a lot of people will you know if, if McKinnon's playing well a lot of people will buy into this narrative that you know not only is Nathan McKinnon playing well but he beat Connor McDavid right and if you know regardless of, of whether that actually fits um so I, I I I can't see it um but man I'm just I'm trying I mean he had 29 points through two series one of which was short so I'm I'm doing the math in my head you know at he could get into the mid forties if he goes really crazy. Like the record for points in a season is forty seven. If he gets to forty seven without playing in the cup final, without even playing in the final, <laughs> and and then you know the other thing would be if he if he makes the final. It, you mentioned that five guys have won the trophy without uh, with won the Conn Smythe without winning the cup, but only one of those was a forward. It's been right. all goalies ever since Reggie Leach in the seventies, yeah. and that was like Conn Smythe was only a few years old at that point. We've almost decided you can't. You, if you're a skater, you have to win the cup. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's a good chance he could certainly if he gets to the final, he could break the record for points. And, and if you're breaking any Wayne Gretzky record from the mid '80s, uh, that's good. I ran right. the numbers. It's it's a good thing. McDavid's at nine to one. Maybe just give our listeners and, and us a sense of like uh, th- those top five or six candidates right now. Yeah, so right now Nathan McKinnon is the favorite. And 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 this is because the Avs are up one nothing. And like if if the Oilers were to win the next two games and take a two one lead, McDavid would probably be the leader in the clubhouse. So that that has a massive influence on it. But McKinnon's uh at plus two ninety, so almost three to one. Uh Kale McCarr is right behind him at plus three twenty, so a little over three to one. Igor Shesterkin is third at five to one, and Andre Vasilevsky is right above Connor McDavid at six and a half to one. What's interesting to me is McDavid's right there, nine to one. And then the guy who's got one less point than him, and you mentioned Leon Dreisaitl, and maybe he hasn't quite been as dominant as Connor McDavid, but he's got one less point and he's been phenomenal. He is way down this list. I almost had to scroll off the page at 45 to one to win the Conn Smythe, which seems insane to me. If you think the Oilers have any chance of beating the Avs and getting to the final, I feel like 45 to 1 on Dreisaitl is a solid uh, bet. Wow. I, even if you're just betting as a hedge against Connor McDavid getting hurt or something like that, that's um, that's insanity right there. I mean, I, I don't think, I think Dreisaitl could outplay Connor McDavid and McDavid will still win because right. we love the narrative, right? And and mm-hmm. there's a thing going around right now where a lot of people are going, uh, wait a second, um, we we all think that there's a very good chance that Austin Matthews is going to win the MVP. And if it's not Austin Matthews, it's probably going to be Shesterkin. McDavid is, you know, is kind of like uh, a secondary candidate for a lot of people. Well, you're looking at it now. I mean, if Matthews wins over McDavid, nobody's going to remember 2022 is the year of Austin Matthews. It's the McDavid year. And so a lot, I think maybe there might be some voters going, here's my make good on Connor. I, I you know, may, maybe I got a little caught up in the Matthews hype. Um, so I think McDavid is definitely the favorite, but I mean, we just, everything we just said about, well, breaking records and everything that applies to Leander Seidel too. Right. So 45 to one. My goodness. That's uh yeah, I mean, you throw twenty bucks down, and you're uh, uh, you got a new giant screen TV. That's uh, that that seems okay to me. Definitely. And then the 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 last thing I'll throw at you guys, and I find this kind of interesting. We mentioned how far ahead McDavid is from Drysital. It's similar to the team that's actually leading the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, the Rangers are three wins away from playing in the Cup Final, and I'm wondering, do you guys think? Any player on that team other than Igor Shesterkin can possibly win this award. I mean, right now, Shesterkin, like I said, he's third on the list behind McCarr and McKinnon at five to one. 
And you've got to go, let's see. The 13th player on the list uh, is Mika Zabanajad at 20 to 1. Adam Fox is 35 to 1. Artemi Panarin is also 35 to 1, along with Chris Kreider being 35 to 1. So those are your those are your odds. Do you think is it possible for, for someone on this team other than Igor Shesterkin to win this award? Boy, I mean, Panarin has the overtime game seven overtime goal on his docket. He would probably need, in my opinion, another goal of that magnitude just to even get him into the conversation. But I don't see it. Like I, I, you know, and as the banish has been dynamite, especially in the last four or five games, like it just feels like that, that is that set up on the first goal uh, the other night on the Kreider goal was just like, it was magic, right? Like he's been great, but uh, to me, Panarin would be the guy, but he would need another kind of, he would almost need a Stefan Mateau style goal in this round to put them into the cup. And then we could be like, wow, they're, they're not there without Panarin. And then, then he'd have to have a great Stanley cup final. The crazy yeah. thing is we're talking about McDavid getting to 50 points or 40 points and Panarin has 13 right now. Um, <laughs> so. And he's playing good. Like that's, right. that's right. That's good. Um, yeah. I, 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 we forget, right. Because we get, you know, we're down to the final four and it feels like, you know, the finish lines inside. We're halfway through the playoffs for whatever right. team wins the Stanley cup. We're only halfway through. Um, I could absolutely see someone on the Rangers other than Shesterkin emerging to win the Smythe, especially since we've seen goalies go cold. You know, it only takes one or two right. bad games and the numbers bump up. I, I just don't know who I would pick at it. I, like, I'm not sure there's – you just named three or four guys that could all emerge. So I'm not sure that there's any one of those where I'd, you know, like like with Dreisaitl, where I'd say that's my hedge bet right there. Um, it, it seems like there's too many options for me. To me, Zabanajad and Fox are are way ahead in terms of the stats for this team. They like Zabanajad leads the team with twenty one points and eight goals. Fox is right behind him with twenty points, um, only five goals, but a bunch of assists. And then the next closest is thirteen, and that's Andrew Kopp and Panarin both have thirteen points. I don't like for me, Adam Fox. When I watch Rangers games, other than Shesterkin, Adam Fox is the guy. Who's who's the best player on the ice for them when I watch games now? Is that how it would be voted? I don't know. But to me, Fox, if I was looking to take a a long shot on one of those guys, I I like the way Fox plays. And I don't think he's as like streaky, I guess, like like if if you're betting on Panarin, it's like, okay, he's got to score four goals in the final for you to get that. Whereas I think Fox just kind of controls play. He's going to get points if they score goals because he's the one bringing the puck up the ice. He's on the power play like he's he's the facilitator. Yeah. Hey, listen, we'll we'll leave it there, Jesse. And it should be interesting when we uh, reconnect and reconvene uh, as this series unfolds. Uh, Those those con Smythe odds, I think. Uh, I think that was a great tip there on 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 Dreisaitl because boy he he could end up with thirty five or forty points in the postseason so that's uh, that's that, that's a great one to watch. Listen, I uh, appreciate the visit. Have a great uh, week and uh, and we'll talk to you next uh, next Thursday. Awesome, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Jesse. All right, always great to uh, to visit with Jesse Granger. That Dreisaitl Consmith line was uh, was certainly eye opening to us. Hey, before we open up the mailbag and hear from some Devils fans uh, about our conversation last week. I want to ask you about the piece that you dropped this week on uh, the all-disappointment team in the playoffs. And you do this, right, every year. They, who's the guy? Uh, who are the three goalies in 60 and the, the the forwards that just didn't quite meet their regular season expectations and yeah. uh, are out of the playoffs? And I'm going to throw one name at you, and you tell me how much you debated putting Austin Matthews on your list. Did, did, it, did it cross your mind or no? No, it didn't really. And it's when I saw you, uh, you know, when you sent me that, my first thought was, oh, you know, why would you, you know, he had decent numbers. He had four goals in the series, nine points. So over a point in a point of game player. Um, now, at the same time, uh, you know, I, I think all four of the goals came in the first half of the series. And, and clearly in those those last two games, you're one goal away from knocking the lightning out and and you're big goal scorer didn't get it. So maybe I should have given it more consideration, but I really didn't. I found it tough, um, surprisingly tough to find a Maple Leaf this year, which is usually not the case. With this team, it's usually narrowing it down. And I did have Matthews and and Mitch Marner last year, uh, Marner the year before. That's been the story in Toronto is the big names not coming through. I felt like this year, the big names mostly were fine. 
Um, nobody was dominant. Nobody pulled a Connor McDavid, but the, the big names were pretty good. Uh, and it was tougher to find a Maple Leaf. I don't, maybe I should have given Matthews more thought than I did. Um, and, and, and with goaltending, it's funny because after the first round, I mean, that, that Calgary-Dallas series was so defensive. And I, Jake Ottinger was the, the first round uh, MVP, right? If we were handing out MVPs, been, right, yep. that guy wins it. But Jacob Markstrom played well enough to win. But you had him on like kind of as your 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 top goalie of, of playoff disappointments, and that that is just really a function of that Edmonton series, though, right? He, like he had just, a nine forty three save percentage against Dallas. Like yeah. he, he didn't play well enough to win. He played fantastic. He played great, and uh, uh, and yet uh, he's he's my number one goalie. And it's again, it's because he just went ice cold against the Oilers. And I, you know, that's simplifying. Obviously, you got to give Edmonton credit, and you know, like Daryl Sutter said, their their best players were the best players. I'm not trying to take credit away from Edmonton, but he was an 852 in in that series. Um, nowhere near good enough uh, in the mid 80s, let alone uh, let alone these days. And it just uh, and you know it, it's nothing made me reevaluate Jacob Markstrom as a goalie. Nothing made me rethink. You know that it's just goalies get hot, and goalies get cold, and usually this time of year we talk about the goalies that get hot and go on the go on a run. But sometimes your goalie gets cold, and, and unfortunately for the Flames, it just happened almost overnight at the worst possible time, uh, and um, it, ch- it changes your whole outlook. And you know, it's it's goaltending's whatever they say, fifty percent of the sport, unless you don't have it. And suddenly the Flames didn't have it. All right, let's uh, open up the mailbag and a reminder that you can always uh, drop us an email to the Athletic Hockey Show. At gmail.com. The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 845-445-8459. Look, we got some emails uh, in from Devils fans, but let, let me just read this one because Jason actually attached a picture because okay. yeah. last week's show I talked about I went to a Seattle Mariners game. I ate the uh, the the toasted grasshoppers. And Jason says, love that Mariners food option, Ian. I would at least try it if I was at a game. Back in the day, 2009, the Milwaukee Brewers had something called eating for the cycle. I ate a Polish sausage, an Italian sausage, a bratwurst, a jumbo hot dog, and then topped it off with a uh, helmet full of nacho cheese waffle fries. Yeah. I'll say Which that was he, a good decision in my 20s. That's from he Jason. Makes it, he makes it sound like the waffle fries were like his option. Like he, like the, the eating for the cycle was the four, uh, four, sausages and then he was like not enough uh yeah like i mean that meal would put me in the hospital today in my 20s maybe but like right now let me ask you this well look i was gonna ask you right now what do you take do you eat that or do you eat the crickets but you take the crickets because you already ate them once oh yeah crickets for sure i don't know which i would go with you're going you're going for the i don't i I don't want to eat the crickets but I feel like I know today, like I would, that would be it. Like if I'm, I'm in, I'm in Milwaukee, I guess I'm on vacation in Milwaukee for, for some reason. Like I don't want to be laid up in the hotel room for the next three days. And that, that would do a number on me, let alone the, like the waffle fries, forget it. it cricket me up because that is, uh, and, and by the way, he did send a picture. And if you're wondering like, well, maybe the picture makes it look appetizing. No. No, the picture makes it worse. The picture is uh, not. Um, I, I was. I, I. I'm not hungry after looking at that picture. Let's just. Well, say. we don't even have to share the picture. All you have to do as a listener is think about the sausage race in Milwaukee with yeah. those four cards. Imagine That's having it. to eat all of those. That's, That's what right. you're doing. Just picture. We need to like Photoshop that race in. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Jason just running behind them with a a, a bib on. Oh That's man! And who was the pi- was it? Randall Simon of the Pirates who like took his bat and beat one of the sausages. Remember that? <laughs> Randomly, it one hundred percent was. And I remember that. I'm just picturing people who aren't of a certain age trying to figure out, trying to parse that sentence, and try to figure out yeah. like, is that is that like a metaphor? Is that a baseball term? Yeah. I'm not familiar with. No, no, it's yeah. not. Yeah, Randall Beating Simon beating the I sausage. Think, no, it, it sounds like it should be, but it's no. not. Yeah, the, yeah, there was a real weird phase there where there was like some mascot, like remember, like obviously Craig McTavish pulling the tongue out of uh, mm-hmm. Harvey the Hound. 
Randall yep. Simon with the bat on the on the cartoon sausage. Um, did Tommy Lasorda do something? Did Tommy Lasorda, who is the longtime manager of the Dodgers, he got into it with Yuppie. Yeah, he got Yuppie kicked out of a game. Yeah. Yuppie like, got ejected. Uh, yeah. I, I think Yuppie was doing something on the dugout. He was doing his uh, – and and Tommy Lasorda got him kicked out. And uh, I, I think maybe the only mascot to ever be ejected in a major league game. Certainly, yeah. uh, I don't think there's there's not a lot of them. So, I don't know. Gritty, If I know you're a big listener. You, you got your work cut out for you, man. Like, there's <laughs> – there's, uh, you know, until you've been attacked by a coach and or a baseball bat wielding player, uh, the, the bar's high. Bar's been yeah. set high. All right. So Jason also added, and we had a bunch of emails that came in on this. Last week we talked about it was the anniversary of the Messier guarantee and the Devils lose in 94. And we said, look, New Jersey's got three Stanley Cups. Would Devils fans be willing to trade one of them? In exchange for you don't have to live through the nightmare that was 1994. So let me just read a couple of emails that came in, including the, the one from Jason and yeah. a couple other ones. And, and, and it we'll- was to be clear, you, the Devils win in 94. They beat the Rangers. There's no Stefan Matteau, but they don't win the cup that year. They lose to Vancouver. So yeah. they're they're not getting a cup, but they're taking one away from the Rangers. Yeah, and, and, and removing that painful Matteau moment. So let me just yes. rip through this real quick. Jason added... A follow-up on that Devils question. I originally thought I would easily give up one of my Devils Stanley Cups for New Jersey to win Game 6 in 94 and then lose to Vancouver. But then I had to choose which one. 2003 seems obvious, but then I actually went to a couple of games in that series, so I would be missing out on those wins. Giving up the 2000 win seems uh, not so great because it gets rid of the Devils' biggest goal in franchise history. So my question is, if I have to give up 1995, Am I also worried about the team moving to Nashville after that? If that is a concern, then I'll gladly give up the 03 Stanley Cup if they stay in New Jersey, regardless of the 95 outcome. Uh, then I would give up 95. So Jason's like, hey, what people don't remember is that maybe there was some talk about New Jersey uh, leaving. Uh, let, let me just read a couple of yep. other ones real quick here. Morgan writes in, how many cups would I give up to get rid of that damn guarantee? <laughs> Definitely the 2003 Stanley Cup. If the Devils don't win, yep. maybe Scott Niedermeyer doesn't leave the team. I think the Devils could build around him and have another shot of the cup down the road with Niedermeyer as the captain. So it is so hard to give up uh, being a multiple Stanley Cup winning team, even if I never would have to hear about that damn guarantee ever again. Then one more here from Christopher, who takes a kind of contrarian view to this. Look, after listening to your pod last week and the conversation of how many Stanley Cups would Devils fans give up to have beaten the Rangers in 94, my reverse question to you guys is this. How serious of a little little brother complex must New Jersey fans have in order to give up multiple Stanley Cups just to erase one from a less successful team? The Devils have three Stanley Cups since 1994. The Devils are a woefully underachieving franchise. You can't even get in the doors at Madison Square Garden for less than 130 US. How is it possible for that team to live so incredibly rent-free in everybody else's heads? To me, it's really pathetic. That's from Christopher. So a bunch of yeah. opinions coming in here. All right, Chris. Oh, Christopher. First of all, Christopher, settle down. Uh, it's <laughs> and it was I. It was my idea. So don't be mad at uh, at Devils fans. And I'll just point out, little brothers got three cup rings, and big brothers got one in everyone's lifetime. So you know, little brothers doing okay. Uh, real quick, just answer to Jason. Uh, no, the Devils don't move to Nashville in '95. In in this version, uh, Gary Bettman is so scarred by the absolute curb stopping that he got from Devils fans in that infamous intermission interview in the 95 final that he refuses to move, let the Devils move. He's terrified of you. Um, It's one of the great, if you've never seen it, uh, go on YouTube, look up Gary Bettman interview 95 finals. He makes the mistake of doing a live interview with Fox uh, in it with the fans in New Jersey, right behind him. And it is it is it is worse than any pro wrestling crowd I've ever heard. They uh, they absolutely tear him to shreds, and it's it's fascinating television. And and by the way, we should point out that would have been forty five year old Gary Bettman, right? Yes, that's roughly. Right. Yeah, young like, uh, young man. Yeah, a young a young guy. He's our age. The yeah. age we are now is the age Gary Bettman was during that interview. So keep that yeah. in mind. And um, I should not be in charge of anything at all. So the fact that Gary Bettman was in charge of the whole league back then is, is uh, we, we made a mistake. 
All right. One other real quick email here that came in from a listener. This one's from Mar- J. Mark or Mark. I apologize. J. Mark. J. Mark. Yeah. Uh, just finished listening to your uh, Thursday podcast. At the beginning of last week's pod, Ian went on into great detail about the complexities to participate in the podcast while he was in a powerless home for several days. Sean, on the other hand, seemed to laugh about the fact that he had power uh, even though he just lives five minutes away. My question for you guys is where's the investigative report with the backstory of why Ian wasn't allowed to hang out at Sean's house? You guys live so close together. Wouldn't it just make sense to record the podcast together in Sean's fully functional and operational house? Ian, you could have preserved that generator for more important things like the kids' homework, cooking dinner, etc. I don't want to, I don't want some lame generic comment from you guys. Let's get to the bottom of this story. That's from J Mark. Great point. J Mark, with the price of gasoline these days to run the generator last week, boy, that, that was an expensive podcast for me to put together. You know, gas I, is. I object uh, to the idea that your kid's homework is more important than this podcast. Yeah, good point. Good point. Like, what are we, what are we even doing here? No, I, yeah. uh, uh, I, we should make up a story. I think it would be, you know, like yeah. Ian knows what he did sort of thing. No, the, <laughs> Yeah. And I, I emailed uh, J. Mark back because he, he emailed me about this too. He was he was pretty worked up. Um, it, the reality is it's, if, if you don't have a studio set up, it's hard to record with two people live with two microphones yeah. or with one microphone because yeah, you either have two mics and they're hearing each other and it causes problems or you have one mic and then you if you're not the same distance, you can, one person's loud and one person's quiet. Um, so that's it. But if, if, if that isn't sufficient explanation, um, Ian Steele's. He's got he's got sticky fingers and things go missing in in my house whenever he's over and I just didn't have uh, I didn't have time to hide all the hide all the uh, you know all my collectibles all my early nineties Wendell Clark memorabilia yeah. he's he's always got his eye on so sticky fingers yeah that's yeah. I first thing I do is I head to the fridge to see what coupons I can take you know that's, yeah, yeah that's right yeah it's for sure first thing I do all right hey let's wrap up the show with a little this week in hockey history real quick. Uh, May 31st, 2002, it was the infamous Red Wings Avalanche beatdown. We were so excited for this Game 7. Red Wings beat the Avs 7-0. Dominic Hasek, by the way, posted his fifth shutout of the playoffs that year. That's a single-season record. My question on this is, and I think we've all watched the trailer in the last week, the E60 documentary on the Red Wings-Avs rivalry. That's coming out. I love that that they ended the trailer with Vlad Konstantinov. That that kind of sent chills gasp right like chills down the spine uh how hyped are you to watch espn's avs wings uh two-hour extravaganza that that'll be great i'm sure it'll be excellent and uh yeah i'm i'm really looking forward to that and uh congratulations to espn for noticing uh the this rivalry existed 20 years later i don't i can't imagine what changed but uh better (laughs) better late than never uh that's that's going to be a great one, especially if they really get the players opening up, uh, which hopefully, fingers crossed, they do. Yeah, and I mean, look, like like everybody that you would have wanted interviewed seems to have been interviewed, right? Like all of yeah. them, Claude Lemieux and Draper and Iserman and Sackick and Shanahan and uh, go through the list. This, this is going to be a lot of fun. So the, hey, if by you the way, watched- I, it, just, just to throw this out there, and I don't know if, if you know this, but I, I stumbled on something that I didn't know last week and I put it in the column and I found out that a lot of people don't know, including um, a lot of uh, Red Wing fans. Do you know who Moritz Sider's agent is? The franchise player for the Red Wings. Is it, is it Claude, Le- Claude Lemieux guy, right? Claude Lemieux yeah, is his yeah, agent. I, I, I remember that from, I think when he signed his, whatever he signed his entry, like whatever it was, I remember, I vaguely remember someone saying, how crazy is it that Claude, so Claude Lemieux is the agent Steve for Detroit's Eisenman best player? When tries to lock up yeah. His the player he's building this rebuild around. He's got to call up Claude Lemieux. I don't think, feel like we're talking about this. Yeah, enough. I agree. I got credit to Claude playing the long game on this rivalry. Yeah, wow. I mean, I, I hope he comes in with some ridiculous demand. And Eisman's like, "What?" And he's like, "Oh, did you not see that coming? Did that yeah. blindside <laughs> you a little bit?" <laughs> I don't. I think it's too soon to be making those jokes. Still, might be like it might be for soon. Claude, like. Oh my gosh. Like that, that is, I know. I, I remember seeing that. I feel like that's one of the most under, like you're right. It's one of the more under. I guarantee there are Red Wing fans listening to this right now have, uh, that have chills that are like, wait a second. What is he, this is a joke, right? He's doing a bit and they're going to go look it up and they're, they suddenly feel a lot less 
confident about. Unless, I don't know, maybe, you know, Claude Lemieux is here for his in-person negotiations. Just, yeah, unfortunately, Mr. Eisman's not here, but assistant GM Darren McCarty uh, has agreed to take the uh, <laughs> yeah. and it, or signed an eight-year deal at the league minimum today. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Man. Yeah, that yeah, it's crazy. Like, I don't think enough people know about that. And you know what? Let me point out one other thing that I I, I brought this up on Twitter, and and I, I know the Oilers lost game one, but how come we're not talking about the fact, Sean, that we're like we're eerily we're awfully close to an Evander Kane Ryan Reeves Stanley Cup final. Like that's right. How are yeah. we not talking about this? There are so many. I've, I've mentioned this. But all four possible combinations are amazing matchups for the yeah. final. And usually this time of year, there's at least one. The like one this time got- last year, we're all like, just please not Montreal Islanders. Like that would yeah. be too defensive. That's going to be terrible. Please don't let them. We almost got it. But um, I, I would take absolutely any of them. The, you know who I feel bad for, though, who's got to be so nervous right now is Vancouver Canucks fans. Because if we get Edmonton, New York, Mark Messier is oh going to be God. everywhere. Yeah. You are not going to be. It's going to be two straight weeks of Mark Messier. The Devils fans, too, probably are you know, going to be hearing about guarantees and everything. But just if you're a Canucks fan, you're not going to be able to turn on your TV without Mark Messier's smiling face and telling you what a great leader he was. Uh, that's going to be a rough one. But yeah, every oh, yeah. single matchup is potentially a plus. But yeah, Ryan Reeves, Vander Kane, old buddies. Yeah. yeah. To, okay. Uh, One more uh, this week in hockey history, June 3rd, 1993. For a lot of Montreal Canadiens fans, uh, this is a a memorable game. Uh, It's the Marty McSorley illegal stick game. And Eric Desjardins ties it late after uh, Jacques Demers calls for the uh, the illegal stick. And then Eric Desjardins wins it in overtime. Look, I grew up a Habs fan. Bob Cole, that's one of my favorite Bob Cole calls of all time. I think it's the best Bob Cole call ever. And I... That is, in the esteem I hold Bob Cole, that is yeah. an enormous compliment. I, I, uh, I, 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 think, I think his call on the Lemieux goal against New York, or sorry, against Minnesota in 91 is probably yep. my favorite. I think, I think he captured the moment perfectly. Uh, but, but yeah, Desjardins. We could, we could do a whole podcast on, on Bob Cole calls. But I, I feel like this game is an underrated, uh, like this doesn't get enough credit as an all-time great game. Like all-time yeah. I, because, and I think partly because Montreal goes on to win the series in five. And, you know, when you win a series of five games, you go, well, you know, one thing didn't really change. But remember, L.A. goes into Montreal and wins game one on the road. Game two, they're minutes away. They're leading at the end of the third period. They're minutes yeah. away from taking a 2 nothing lead back home. Uh, I mean, you, you can't tell me they're not firmly in the driver's seat in, in that series. Maybe Montreal wins, you know, the, the wins out anyways. But they're they're that close, and then you get the illegal the, the Jacques Demers calls for the measurement. Carey Fraser measures the stick. He actually notices the stick this time, which was a nice change for him that year. He calls the penalty. McSorley goes to the penalty box. We all remember that, but we remember it as the McSorley game. And Eric Desjardins scores his second goal of the game to tie it, and then completes the hat trick for the winner. A defenseman with a hat trick in a three two win in the Stanley Cup Final. All time great Bob Cole call. Uh, both of them, honestly, but uh, very in two very similar goals too, which is is always uh, great. Um, Eric Desjardins to me is a, I, and I'm going to write this column probably in the summer. Uh, like the Hall of Very Good, we use that as an insult sometimes. We say, "Look, Kevin Lowe, no, he's a Hall of Very Good guy." But I, I'm talking guys who nobody thinks should really be in the Hall of Fame, but they were just great players that we don't talk enough about how great they were. Eric Desjardins is a classic first ballot Hall of Very Good guy, and this was his signature game. And we should talk about it as the Eric Desjardins game, not the McSorley game. Yeah, I love it. You know what? I, I could be wrong on this. I think there's only been, and I think maybe I'm wrong, but I think there's only been one other defenseman in the last 30 years with a playoff hat trick. And, and why do I feel like it's some, like it's it's some, I don't want to say obscure player, but not it is. like a, yeah, it's it is. not like an especially a guy you, that you would expect to. You ready for this? And, you, yeah. and as soon as I say it, you'll be like 100%. Okay. Andy Delmore. Yes. Andy Delmore. That's why. I, I mean, I don't. I think he's the last guy. Unless, did Dustin Bufflin get one as like kind of a shady. Well, that wouldn't, that would forward. be when he was sort of playing forward. But uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, and, boy, that's a great one. 
That's yeah. uh yeah, Eric Desjardins, man. That was uh, at Forum going crazy. Changed the whole series. Absolutely yeah. turned the series around. And uh um yeah, I mean we all remember the stick, but uh yeah, we should remember the guy who scored both goals too. Yeah. All right, we'll leave it there with a random Andy Delmore reference too. That's a <laughs> So That's a name an, I was he the, so you're an expert guy too? Is that why I remember that, or is that somebody else? No, you're thinking of Andy Sutton. Okay, I got my Andys mixed up. Yeah, we'll we'll do a whole podcast. Uh, we we got the Bob Cole great calls, and then we'll do yeah, random great Andys, random Andys. Yeah, that's it. Andy Delmore, Andy Sutton. I, I, why can't Andy I McDonald? Andy McDonald. Wait, uh, Andy McDonald. Is that is that the same as Andrew? Is that Andrew McDonald? Oh, is it? Why Wait. I seem to remember him being an Andy. All right. Well, I is he, now, was now he I'm Andy? all over the map. I'm 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 sputtering here on my uh, <laughs> on my Andy's. Yeah, Andy. Mc, well, and, yeah, Andy McDonald. Oh yeah, Andy McDonald. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Andy yeah, Bathgate. Yeah. Andy. Okay. Now I'm looking up the Andy's. All right. Get get us out of here because we've already we've already gone long, and I'm going to start yeah, reading hey. the entire. I'm going to start talking about Andy Aikenhead here in uh, in a couple yeah. of minutes. Okay, we'll leave it there. All right. Thanks everybody for listening to this uh, Thursday edition of the podcast. As always, uh, email us your questions. The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. You can also uh, leave us a voicemail. Like we said, we'd love to hear your voice. 845 445 8459. Not a subscriber with us? No problem. You can join us at theathletic.com slash hockey show. Get an annual subscription for a dollar a month for the first six months. You can also subscribe to something called the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Get all of our bonus content from our entire library. You're going to start with a 30 day free trial, and then it's just 99 cents a month after that.